Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. I have a writer joining me today that's uh, behind one of the series that we've loved the most and you all have really enjoyed uh, that's recently come to an end. Uh, that's Titan Un Titans United, and I have the writer, Kevin Scott, joining me. Kevin, thanks for joining me from across the pond. Thanks for having me. Yeah, if everyone can hear that accent, Kevin uh, is from the UK, uh, uh, but has done uh, a lot of work in uh, American comics recently. And we're definitely going to talk about Titans United, but we, we have to touch on a couple of the other projects he has for some American comics companies. He has Shadow Service from Vault, which I don't know if you guys are reading it, but it's this awesome mix of spies and the supernatural. Uh, and then he's also been heavily involved with Star Wars, uh, specifically the High Republic. And I want to touch on that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so did you always, Kevin, did you always want to work in uh, American comics? Because the UK has a big comic scene uh as well yeah absolutely i mean yeah the uk's comic scenes changed quite dramatically since i was a kid and reading comics i mean so i grew up reading we had a lot of weekly comics that were mainly humor comics they were things like the beano and whistler and chips and dandy and these were like they had regular characters every week and it was like a single page or a double page um sadly only really the beano has survived and that's you know coming up to i don't know what it is 90 years or whatever it's been going um but in the middle of all that, Marvel UK used to publish a lot of stuff in the late, late um, 70s and early 80s. They did a lot of um, licensed work. So actually, it's how I first experienced Star Wars. Before I saw a film, I picked up um, Star Wars Weekly. Um, and they did things like Transformers and, and um, Zoids and, and loads of other sort of licensed material as well but the clever thing they did was they always put backup strips which were their own material so in star wars it was star lord because it's got the word star in the title in transformers it was machine man because 
is a machine. Um, and so it became a way of really um, spreading actually quite obscure characters sometimes, you know, in the, in the great Marvel run. Um, and then they, when Secret Wars came about, they, they published that as a weekly comic. Um, so they wrote, they published the original um, miniseries. And then when it got to the Secret Wars 2 series, when it had all the, you know, that first big event with all the tie-ins, what they do is they publish Secret Wars 2, issue 1, then they would publish a couple of weeks of Power Pack and then a couple of weeks of Iron Man, then a couple of weeks of Alpha Flight or whatever the tie-ins that actually was. But it really left us wanting to know more, you know, because there was suddenly this entire universe that was was um, open up. And so that got me searching for American comics. Um, DC was a different kettle of fish. You didn't really have DC comics in the same way over here as you had Marvel. I knew DC characters from cartoons and films more than I ever knew um, they were in comics. And I remember the first day I saw an issue of World's Finest and realized that Superman and Batman knew each other blew my mind because in my mind, one was a TV show and one was a film series, you know? So, um, so yeah, DC became the thing that I actively sought out because Marvel, I could get pretty much in every corner of the street, but DC, I had to go into comic stores. I think the first DC comic I picked up was DC comics present. And I can't remember the issue number, but it's the one where the new teen Titans, um, first premiered, um, in, in the little pullout in the middle with, um, on the front, it was, Green Lantern versus Superman. Um, and that was the first DC I, I read. And then I, I I could I found the news agents that had that run of DC Comics Presents. And so in a similar way to the, the um, Secret Wars, it went such a, cl- a classic way of doing it. You know, I read it because it was Superman, but then I was introduced to Atom and Hawk Girl and, you know, all kinds. Um, and so, yeah, I, I fell in love with American comics really early on through that. Um, at a time when I was also reading things like 2000 AD, which is our big science fiction weekly, which mm-hmm. is still going with Judge Dredd. Um, and I, I now I'm writing for. So, yeah, it was always, it was always there that if I, if I got to break into comics, it would be, you know, superhero comics especially as well and but this the american comic scene would be where i'd end up wanting to work because i'd followed a lot of the writers from 2000 ad to vertigo um during the you know the british invasion so for me it seemed my young head that that was that's what you did you started off and then you ended up going to work for american companies and while i i came to understand obviously that wasn't always the way um it was it was the route that i'd sort of i'd set my heart on really yeah, that's so interesting, especially the way you said about the Star Wars, discovering that as a comic first. So, mm. so such an original way to to really look at it, because when you, you if you look at that first original Star Wars comic that, you know, was popular in the early 80s, you know, it only covered the first movie at, at first. And then it was yeah. these wildly sort of out of continuity stories, if we're talking about movie canon, and then came yeah, back yeah. to Empire. And uh, my so, first, so, so my so first story was was the, that first story after the adaptation where Han's going off and gather. I mean, my, my love of Jackson, the space rabbit is well known. And it's because of that, because that was the first issue I read when Han's getting that team together and, and Jackson comes up the stairs, which is still the most bizarre way to introduce character mm. coming up the stairs. Um, and so I met Jackson before I met Luke. Um, I, I knew, I knew obviously what Star Wars was because you couldn't get away with it, but I was just a little bit too young and probably a bit nervous to, um, to I think the first time I actually saw the characters was um, on screen properly was the Muppet Show episode when they, they, when they come in. Um, 
and then Empire was my first film. So, but it, it was definitely, and then once I got that first issue, I just got it every week. So it, it was what launched me into, um, it was quite a while since, I think, since I saw, until I saw Star Wars. So I went back and found the, you know, the the original adaptation. And so that was my first experience of that particular story of, of episode four, uh, before it was episode four. For me, it was a Marvel comic before it was anything. Yeah, so from there to building sort of the this new age, this new corner of Star Wars with the High Republic, which mm. is so interesting the way, you know, Disney Marvel uh, sort of decided to, you know, rather than just have one person, they brought in what, I think five or six writers and you yeah. guys all, kind of all built it together. So how, together, how was that yeah. experience? It was great. I mean, it, it was very much based on like a writer's room for a TV show. So um, there was the five of us were brought together and we were spirited off to Skywalker Ranch, which in itself is a dream, you know, again, from someone reading Scar- Starlog and, and, you know, Fangoria and Starburst when I was a kid, reading about this thing called you know, Skywalker Ranch to actually be in there just felt very surreal. Um, and we had a week where we were asked what we would like to do with Star Wars. And it was, um, there were certain guardrails put in place of things we couldn't do but they we found out things like um the fact there was going to be a baby yoda character this was a couple of years before it, it was out um you know so there, we couldn't go near anything that the mandalorian was doing we, we found out what was happening in in episode nine um and there was some a few other things that still haven't come to fruition they were like you can't touch this because of this or most of the time they went you just can't touch them and we can't tell you why um but they were kind of open on everything and so they that we we set out various different ideas of what the kind of thing we'd like to do and all five of us were were sort of tasked with writing one of those up as a proper pitch proposal um and then those were sent in we were then summoned back to Skywalker, which was amazing. Um, one of them was chosen um, by Disney and, and Lucasfilm. And our job then was to pull that one apart and put it back together again and bring in some elements from the other pitches and and sort of build this new era from the ground up. Before any of us knew, before I knew I was going to be writing the Marvel comic, before we knew, you know, Charles knew he was going to be writing the first novel. Um, there was a long period of time when we were just building the story together, not knowing which elements of the story will be writing which was great because it meant that we felt like we owned everything mm-hmm. um and we had a you know we, we had investment in it before and then when when we started to get the assignments and i knew i was going to be writing the marvel comic that's when i was starting to sort of cherry up and go right i want that character we've talked about i want this situation um there was a point you know they're saying this is going to be set on the on the station on the beacon um and we had worked out a five-year plan of story beats and we knew which ones each part of the story needed to, to hit so it was um it, it was great to get in right at the bottom and sort of build out from from scratch because then yeah you you are more involved from day one and and those points those fixed points in the story have stayed throughout the story and we're obviously only at the end of the first part of it now and it's grown and what we did we allowed ourselves space that as long as we hit those key points those fixed points in time that you could not move um we could let the story grow and discover it along the way so it's it's been a it's been a really good experience of of having quite an organic story but having a framework for it to to grow along um and yeah we were out in florida for our first trip since the launch um recently to sort of plan the details of the end of the high republic because we knew where it was going so we spent um, a few days sitting around actually really nailing down what well, how is this thing ending 
um and then what happened so so yeah it's been it's been great it's been a very long process and because we're in the actual storytelling we're we're quite early on still you know we're we're mm-hmm. still you know only we're not even halfway through so um yeah it's been it's been an amazing experience yeah almost like a, a pinch me you know who would have known yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, there were yeah. still moments that, so daniel jose older um one of the other writers and, and me that first week in Skywalker, there'll be sort of moments when we'd break off and we'd have time to to wander and relax and and re you know reboot um, after quite intensive story sessions, and it'd be a moment you know, and I'd be walking one down one path and Daniel'd be walking up the other way, and all we'd say to each other as we passed was "This is insane," um, <laughs> and then we'd just carry on because we couldn't quite believe. And that entire place is built to be creative. It's just it is a wonderland, and so um, yeah, absolutely. There's been so many pinch me moments, and coming back to the fact that I was writing a Marvel number one Star Wars <laughs> book, you know, it was for me that was going right back to the beginning of my Star Wars experience, um, and so it was really important to me that that I was doing that book. Yeah, and, and uh, not to turn things too negative, but but we've all heard the stories about Star Wars fans, um, you know, especially when it comes to opinions about the movies. Mm-hmm. They don't agree and they get it gets kind of divisive. I, I don't really understand it because, you know, there's so much good stuff. And if one thing doesn't happen to work for you, just move on to something else. There's so much Star Wars to explore. Yeah. But it does seem like the High Republic fans, specifically the, the High Republic comic fans, it seems like a very positive community. It seems like everything's been pretty well received. I haven't seen, you know, people arguing, well, no, it shouldn't be this way because again, you guys did sort of create this new era. So there was no one to tell you, you know, that it yeah, was I wrong. Mean, part, part of the passion I think from Star Wars fans comes from a sense of ownership that they know these characters yes. so well, you guys are yeah, and building also something they, new. They did keep the flame going for so many years. You know, it's the same with the, the other major franchise I've worked and I love working is Doctor Who and the two franchises are very similar. They, they both have a period where there was, there was, primary source material so films or tv show then both of those went and it was left with comics and books and audios and and all the and conventions and fanzines and fan produced work um and so that ownership is really important because it gets you through those wilderness years and then for both franchises a new version arose which meant that uh, the old the old canon that had been created for necessity had to be pushed aside because your average punter on the street wouldn't know what happened because they've not read all these books and it's a really hard decision to make and i mean again for star wars the biggest thing was like for your your average joe on the street why can't i see chewbacca in a film because a, a moon landed on him what where i never saw that film and you know so there are very very obvious reasons why these kind of things happen the trouble is that obviously people do invest a lot of time in that and there, there is a very personal keen in hurt when they're you know they're removed i think doctor who fandom we have a little bit more of a, a fluid idea of what canon is because of the way the show works mm-hmm. um with star wars it was very much you know that was the official continuation and i can pl- completely understand why there was that you know for all when suddenly there was a new canon brought in again comic fans we're used to it happening especially for a dc fan it happens every other year um and the great thing is you can you know with the, the multiverse idea you can enjoy everything and that's still how i enjoy star wars to be honest anyone who knows me knows i'm a massive e you know expanded universe fan however i don't really it doesn't really matter to me that it's not the main 
canon at the minute because it's as far as I'm concerned it's still Star Wars and I can enjoy it but I totally get why there's a problem to get back to what you're saying yeah the actual core High Republic fandom does seem you know a really positive place and actually they haven't agreed with everything which has been great to see because um, as I always say you can't like everything and neither should you like everything you know so there have been decisions we've come up with that some people haven't agree with um, and that's right and proper and how it should be and, how, and actually how you want it to be because you want there to be discussion what we're not seeing within that particular part of fandom is the attacking and you know and and the and the, the, the war which is part of the culture war thing that we're all going through at the minute yeah there is also you take a step back in the wider fandom there are things every fandom has it you know first time i had a dc book announced with it my second tweet reply i had it was telling me you know to go jump off a cliff because of something that was on the cover so it happens in every fandom um my attitude is always is like absolutely fine if you don't like it great i've got no problem with that um and you can tell me constructively why you don't like it that's also fine i'll talk i'd much rather know what you do like I'd much rather know what you're interested with. So um, if you come, you know, come to me on Twitter or whatever, and you're a Star Wars fan and you don't like the new canon, um, I get it. Um, tell me what you like about the old canon, because I can guarantee we're going to have something in common. Um, and I think that's the same across all fandoms. If you look for the common ground, it's always there. Um, but it gets lost in the in the noise of of arguments about what's right and what makes a true fan and what's not not a true fan well fan is just you you like something and so um yeah i i I try not to get involved in that side of it because a there would be lots of posts going up on websites about star wars writer says this or confirms this or or whatever but also it's you know life's too short for all of us to have those kind of conversations I'd, i'd much rather um talk about and debate stuff and you know and do all the things we love as fans because that's the other thing all of us working on this stuff now no matter what universe you're writing in it's usually because we have a history with it because it's you can't escape it if you're a comics writer you can't escape these universes you know if you're a, a science fiction writer and you're a star wars writer you've obviously lived through the last 40 odd years of star wars you know so um at the end of the day we've all still got that one thing in common yeah and it's uh, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. It, life's too short. It, it is beloved and, and for a reason. So, you know, celebrate yeah. what, what you like rather than what you, yeah. what you don't. So from, from that, where obviously Lucasfilm, Disney, and rightly so it's, it's, it's valuable and they want to protect it. So a lot of rules, a lot of oversight. Mm. And there we go to shadow service. Yes. Kind of your, your, you know, creator own with, with Corn Howell yeah. over at vault where you, you yeah. pull all the shots. So yeah. for, uh, for listeners who may not be familiar, uh, what's the elevator pitch? How do you, sh- uh, describe shadow service? Um, I describe it as the inside of my head, um, which I know <laughs> doesn't work for a lot of people. If you don't know what the inside of my head is like, basically it's sort of, um, James Bond meets, um, hammer horror meets monsters. It's, I was always fascinated going up. Um, I'm, as you can, as you said, I'm British. We have to like James Bond. It's part of the law. You get thrown in prison if you don't. I also grew up, you know, when Roger Moore was obviously the best Bond because he was the only Bond I knew because um, he was Bond for 780 years. Um, 
And so I grew up with a love of monsters through things like Doctor Who and Hammer and, and Star Wars um, and Universal. And I grew up with this love of Bond movies and from that Mission Impossible and everything that went around that sort of spy-fi kind of world. And so from an early age, I, I, I mashed the two together and I would come up with these stories. And quite early on, I, I came up with the, the title MI666 when I was a teen and I used to write stories about these spies who were fighting demons basically um, and I tried over the years to get work that into various different stories and there's been some short stories about various iterations before that have been anthologies um, and then when Volt came to me and rather delightfully said what would you like to write for us um, put me on the spot I went oh Tinker Tailor Soldier Witch and they went, what's that? And I went, I will let you know. Um, and I went back and I sort of pulled out all these ideas and 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 pushed them into this, you know, moulded them into this thing that is now Shadow Service. Um, so it's the story of a witch, Gina, who's a young witch who's spent her entire life thinking she's a bit of a monster, living on the streets, working as a private investigator, using her magic to find people. Um, her only friend is a talking rat, which she doesn't think is strange at all. Um, but she knows that, you know, there must be other people like her, but she's never met anyone. Um, she gets recruited into this secret service, uh, the MI six 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 service of, of Great Britain, who are there to protect, you know, protect Great Britain from spiritual attack um, and demonic attack. Um, and it's the story of how she gets involved and starts to explore through that actually how she got her powers the fact you know she's not the only witch in the world um magic is this on a major level she just didn't know about it so um there's lots of different influences there there's constantine in there you know there's hellboy in there there's there's doctor who in there there's james bond in there as i said it's the perfect melting pot of what goes on in my head and then you add Corinne's art into it as well. And she's made it something that's completely unique and 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 um and lives its own world. So so yeah, that's Shadow Service. Yeah, it definitely feels very UK. Obviously, it's set set in London, although mm. they do, you know, travel other places. Yeah. Um the other thing that's interesting, you know, you mentioned b- being inspired by James Bond and Universal Monsters and and all that. Mm. You chose to go with a, a female protagonist in, in Gina Myers. What mm. what was behind that thinking? It was. Now, this sounds crazy, but um, I was I didn't have a protagonist and I knew there needed to be someone. There wasn't a glue for the the other characters. MI666 existed as a group and the other supporting characters existed. Coyle, the ghoul, who's an infiltration agent who basically, if he has a corpse, he eats part of the corpse and becomes a, you know, a doppelganger of the corpse so he can get into any place. He actually came from another story I was writing and I worked out he would be better in MI666, so sort of pulled him into that. There was all these other characters and Hex, the spy master, had been around for a long time. What I didn't have was a key. And I was walking, I knew I had to do this pitch for Vault, walking around the neighborhood listening on my ipod um and um black magic woman came onto the mm-hmm. on shuffle with the, the version that was in the sabrina the you know the, the chilling adventures of sabrina soundtrack um and while i was listening to that i was like that's what it needs it needs a a, a street witch and I, you know because i was literally walking it was quite late at night it was quite a noir evening i was walking through these this abandoned car park it couldn't have get more cliched if you wanted it to <laughs> and this came on and i was and that's when i saw this person this 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 young girl this sort of 20 something girl who has these powers and has been using it in a noir type world um and so that's when it it all sort of like clicked in and yeah i mean it could have, it would have been very easily it could be very easy to do a james bond and have a sort of like a biz bros and daniel craig type bond um 
lead, but then it will be in two James Bond. So, you know, um, and I suppose there's a little bit of Jessica Jones in there as well. And, you know, I'm very much, I, I will not shy away of saying these were my influences. And at that time, it was, uh, you know, that was the, the stuff I was reading, that was stuff I was watching. Um, but it was that song that really gave her that moment of life. And then I, I came back home, sort of ran into the house. So to my wife as I'm going upstairs quick. And, and I literally sketched out what, you know, the, the, the character sketch of, of who she is. And that's what pulled it all together. And that made the story. Uh, was her uh, the fan? So the thing that makes her relatable, at least for me, when I read it, is is the family stuff. You know, she yeah. she, she doesn't. We 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 found out uh, toward this end of the second arc that who she thought was her mom isn't even really her, her mom, and hmm. uh, she, you know doesn't. Her father hasn't been mentioned at this point of, of you know who he might be. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of trauma there. Things she's dealt with was that built in. You know, as soon as you you realize you were going with the female protagonist, or was that yeah, it was. It was, um, you know, it, it definitely came out of it and it came out of a question. So I was working with Rebecca Tay, uh, Taylor, who was the editor at the time on, on, on the series, The Vault. And she she asked the question, how much does, does um, Gina know? You know, how does Gina know that MI666 exists? Does she know that magic exists beyond her and her her familiar? Um, and that was a great question because it really, while, uh, you know, I always knew that she'd have to have that. She was a loner, so there had to be a, some kind of tragedy in the past there. Um, but it, again, it's, it's those questions you want when you're, so when you're working on a creator-owned thing, it is your baby. But any writing venture, I think, always gets better if you have a good editor. Because those, that's the person who's there, who's there to stress test things and to poke you and say, well, hang on a minute, is there a better way of doing that? And that was the question that really helped crystallize her past, um, you know, and the fact that there is a mystery there. And all good spy stories need a mystery, you know, and it's that, it's that thing of you want there to be a, a big world-defining emergency, but you also need something that's high stakes for the... The, the protagonist and we've seen that in the latest bond movies you know they've gone very very um you know james bond is now the center of his world whereas before he did used to go off and just save the world now he is right in the minute and his struggles are part of that story um so that's a, a you know that's the kind of thing where you really have to nail down and I, I didn't want everything to be so wrapped up so everything was about her but i knew there had to be a story that would keep people coming back and and those stories are always personal um, you know, and and we we you mentioned Titans and, and Teen Titans. I mentioned being in the first DC. Come, I, I, I from doing Titans, I, I read reread the original rather than the two Titans, and and that's what sold that comic right back in the day. You know, it was mm -hmm. what Wolfman and Perez were doing because actually most of it is a, it's almost soap operaish. You know, you, mm -hmm. it's like who fancies who and who's who's a relationship with who and who. You know, there are so many actually in t in the new Teen Titans. Some issues that it's like everyone's going through trauma, and the same was happening in the X X Men at the, at the time as well. And that's actually what keeps you coming back because. The fights are cool and the demons are cool and the magics are cool. But but if it was just that, it would feel quite empty. So, yeah, those things are, are, are hugely important. Yeah, and it, it, probably that's, that thinking, having people coming back for that part of it, uh, kind of illustrates the perfect end to the second arc uh, when yeah. Gina's at the you know Gideon's grave. Oh, yeah. you know, here we go. We're going to explore this in the next arc. Yeah. Uh, so everybody, if you haven't checked it out, uh, the first 10 issues, are they're both available uh, in two trades. 
from Vault. And then issue 11 is coming back on April 13th. So yes. you have time, a couple of weeks or so, week, 10 days. I think it's gone so. to issue. I think it's gone yeah. to April 20th now, just because of printing. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So we, got, well, we got a little bit more time. But yeah, so it starts, the next five issue arc starts um, this month. Yeah, it just seems crazy that it, suddenly these things catch up on you and you realize, oh, yeah, that is a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, so a couple of weeks to go and pick up the trades and get caught up, everybody. I mm. I do recommend it. Uh, and I've had a chance to read 11 uh, already. And you end 11 with another cliffhanger. Like, here we go. We're into the third arc and already it's, man, I love the fan again. I've all, I always, um, again, uh, that's the Doctor Who fan in me. You know, growing up with Doctor Who in the, when I was a kid, Doctor Who was always about the cliffhanger. You know, it's the, it's the, quintessential adventure serial thing that, you know, that that inspired Indiana Jones and Star Wars, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that thing, 25 minutes, you've got a lot of running around. You look back at some of those early Doctor Who stories, there's a lot of running around and getting locked up and escaping and, and, you know, and chasing Daleks up and downstairs, but it's all about the cliffhanger. It's all about that sting. Um, And so I've been very much influenced by the the idea of cliffhangers. And it's the same when I'm writing novels. You know, every chapter has to be a cliffhanger for me, Um, which I know some people are like and some people don't. But um, I I quite often build, well, I I, I quite often, I absolutely build everything from the cliffhangers. I know where those beats I want to hit and then I work out what happens around them. Yeah, you mentioned your um, artist on the series, your collaborator, uh, Corn Howell, who, man, what a great, choice because she does the the kind of the the emotion and and kind of the reactions to these crazy cliffhangers yeah. so well emotive with the face but she also does she balances that with with the monsters and the supernatural there's sometimes uh quite and then let's face ethereal. it the gore. yeah there's a lot yeah. of gore there's more gore than i thought it would be because that's exactly what what she wanted to bring to it so i i welcome that being a, a horror fan at heart i welcome that with open arms yeah uh and I, I, not that I thought she would leave necessarily, but I did double check when Eleven came out. I'm like, Corin's still here, right? Because I, I can't oh, yeah. really picture. It's our book. Uh, it's our yeah. book completely. Yeah, I couldn't picture Gina's world uh, without Corin. So uh, as it's gone along with the third arc now, um, have you guys de- uh, developed a, a collaborative shorthand at this point? It, you know, you, you, your scripts so, are yeah. even shorter. I don't, I don't know if. I don't know if they're shorter, but I know what she can do. I also know how much work she'll put into a page. And so I'm having I'm to put the brakes on and say, because mm. her backgrounds are insane. And so when I say draw a British news agent of the 1990s, you know, she writes, she does every magazine and every packet of um, what we call crisps chips. Um, and, and likewise, you know, we, we've gone to a lot of Gothic buildings in this third arc and I knew what that would mean for hand. So uh, I, I do try and put warnings in and say, you know, you do, you're gonna have to draw this on more than one page. So be careful. Um, but I mean, basically a lot of the times it is us shouting at each other um a lot you know of like monsters again but we do this i mean the one thing i don't think i've said anywhere but um there was one day when we just shouted dragons each other and so that might give you an idea what's coming up in this arc wow fantastic well let's talk a little titans united you know you've already mentioned it being the first dc book that that you Mm. uh that you read um you know their appearance in dc comics presents and going back and reading that classic wolfman perez stuff Mm. and yeah, you're totally right about the soap opera feel. So, I mean, that must have informed, hey, if I'm going to get a chance to work at DC, I want to start off with the Titans. Yeah, I mean, uh, so it, I 
I've done a few jobs there already. So I do, I've done a, a Wonder Woman one shot on one of the digital runs. I've done some shorts. I've done a Hawkman is is massively important for me. I've got, um, again, from those early issues, I've, I've, I've forever, I'm just going to my desk. Oh, no, that's the wrong. I've got too many action figures on my desk. Um, I've forever got a, a Hawkman figure looking at me. Um because I love I love him so much. So yeah, one of the early jobs I had was writing a Hawkman, Hawkwoman, um, um, story, which was just a joy. But then uh, Michael, the editor, came to me and said, "What do you think about Titans?" When he knew exactly what I thought about Titans, mm-hmm. um, and it was a a bit of an odd brief because it, I think everyone knows it's sort of it's there to accompany the TV show, which is a very different feel to what Titans is in the comics, obviously. It's sort of a weird, slightly out of continuity area because it was supposed to be a, if you love Titans on the TV and you want to know what it's like to read Titans in the comic, you know, pick up this and it's the more comic adjacent versions of those characters. So um, I don't think we actually got that across very well. So people were getting really confused of how Red Hood was in two places at the same time. Um, but for me personally, and Michael is, is a massive Perez Wolfman fan, we wanted to get that original feel while trying to make it quite modern. I had a quite a big shopping list of what I needed to put in there. You know, again, it had to be characters that would be related to stuff that we were going to see on the, on the screen, but not following the same story. So it, the roster was the same. The villains had to be the same. It had to be certain um, locations. So I had to sort of build the story around it, which, you know, thankfully came off. Um, and originally it wasn't going to be in, it wasn't going to be a physical book. It was going to be um, released on the website. It was going to be on DCU um, and the Titans website. And it was going to be released like 10 pages a week or something like that. And it was quite early on. I think we'd written the first couple of what we now, the first two issues. And it was decided, no, actually, we're going to put this out as a book, which was brilliant, which meant from that point on, I can write them as, you know, proper, proper issues, proper issues. Um, but yeah, so it was a bit of a crazy way into it. But I, I completely jumped at it because um, if it, if I never write another bit of DC um, work again, which I, to be fair, I am writing other DC work, um, can't say what, but I knew that I wanted to, make, I, I just wanted this to be fun for both me and, and the readers. And I wanted to have that kind of feel of the classic run um, because what I hoped was that people would then go back and explore more Titans. And so I tried to bring in elements of like, this is the more sort of Wolfman run. This is the, you know, the, the Jeff run from, from um, the nineties, you know, and sort of try and bring in those different elements and have fun with the banter of between the characters. I love re- writing teams and the teen Titans or the Titans are they have some of the best banter in the world, you know, um, and actually throwing, I know quite controversial for a lot of people throwing Red Hood into the mix, um, but he just gives you the option to just have people go and each other left, right and centre. So um, I think he was a great, for me as a writer, he was a great, a great one to get in there. Well, knowing you had that goal of making it fun. I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that, that we heard from readers and that we loved about it so much was that yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was contradicting anything in, in continuity, mm. but it was continuity. Like, like it, it totally stood on its own and it, it just issue after issue story beat after story beat was a wild, crazy, fun uh, adventure. Uh, we did notice that the pacing um, was a little, you know, it wasn't completely consistent throughout ne- never bad pacing, but it, it, it did feel like it changed part way through. Do you think that was because of the, you know, the change to decide to go uh, full issue, full print issue. Yeah, absolutely. And because it was originally structured to be like 10, 12 pages 
every week. So mm-hmm. some of those, um, and of course, when when the move went to be in a, a monthly and in the twenty four issues, I think twenty four pages or whatever, I think it was in the end. Um, the story was sort of set, you know, but I had to then sort of try and adapt it. So in those first issues, there's a cliffhanger halfway through the book because it was literally a cliffhanger. So that first issue, if you read it, there's the guy who's developing powers and is starting to overheat. I mean, that was the cliffhanger of the first mm-hmm. part, you know. So, um, yeah, that absolutely, it was a, we had to try and, but the art was done, you know, so there was no way of getting around that. So it was then when I was writing issue, what is now issue three, issue four, I could then start making, you know, trying to smooth that pacing out. But it, it was, it was, it was an extra wrinkle that I didn't think, you know, uh, that, I, that some of the structure, it wouldn't have been what I would have chosen to do mm-hmm. because it was supposed to be a, a weekly, literally, again, it was another sort of venture weekly type thing. You know, you go on, what are they up to this week? Um, and and to have that feel of the original run of, of the new Teen Titans, where actually what I love about that run is the fact that you, I was reading a bit earlier on, um, I, I pick it up so many times and read it, the, the sort of first appearance of, brother blood and then immediately goes into blackfire you know and within the same issue and i love that you know it's that it's just that it does have that that feel of it just sort of running from one thing to another those poor kids never get a chance to relax um and so we we were trying to get that into it so yeah it did it, it there was a little bit of work to suddenly say right we're changing format um halfway through but hopefully it it, it came off and it meant it's little, little things i couldn't do spreads I couldn't do splashes before, you know, um, really in the early issues. And so that meant I could then pull back and do some different things in the later ones. If I could go back and rewrote the fir- rewrite the first couple of issues, I would, um, because there was things I'd, I'd rather do there. But um, I'm glad how it worked out. And the artwork was phenomenal. You know, it was just, it, again, it was very classic DC, but hopefully with a, a modern, modern twist as well. Yeah, Jose Luis's line work is incredible. Then it's coloured so brightly, which gives it that traditional... Uh, yeah, which again was a, a very much a choice that we made. You know, we want it to be. It was a primer. It was like, this is what comics can be. If uh, For a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily have picked a comic book up, but have come to, there are so many people who have come to superheroes through TV shows now, you know, mm-hmm. and um, Titans is a popular show. Whatever people think about it is a very popular show. And hopefully some of those people are going to go and want to find um the comic equivalent what actually doesn't happen and often enough is um that there is a comic at that time that people can go and pick up and go oh right i get it it's the same team how many times have we had a situation where the jason aaron um thor run is, is a case point i love the entire jane thor run but at that time chris hemsworth was thor on the on the in the films and my kids were looking for that thor in the comics and he wasn't there and so and you know and it was happening again we had Henry Cavill introduced to Superman and the Superman in the comics was incredibly different to what was going on in the films. And I'm not saying they have to follow and you should never have the comic runs completely following what's going on in spin-off films and things like that. But it's great to have something like Titans that we could say, look, this is a way in, read this, you know, this team. Um, when you read this, then perhaps you can go and read, titans academy as well as you know at the same time or whatever or you can go and pick up nightwing or and i think it's a really clever move on dc to 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 do this kind of book which is a bit of a halfway house um as i say hopefully still enjoyable for people who who read 
comics full time and actually don't watch Titans at all. So, um, it, yeah, it was it was trying to do a lot. And, you know, I'm very glad that it, it seems to have succeeded with a lot of people. Um, and yeah, and, and who knows what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, because I'm definitely in that camp. I would love to watch the movie and TV stuff, but I just I have so many comics that I read. I don't have time Is that necessarily. Yeah. So, so, yeah, it's succeeded spectacularly in that way, because I, I, I love this Brilliant. as like we said, a con- sort of a continuity like because you're right. There is somewhat of a barrier to entry. And when people they're used to being a part of a fandom and knowing everything about it. And it's like, man, yeah. how, do I need to go back and read, you know, 900 issues of Spider-Man before I, you know, yeah. to understand what's I think going it's on? A, it's, so. a, it's a major problem we have as a, you know, as an industry, because it is daunting, you know, and, mm-hmm. and part of the problem is, you know, when we talk about gatekeeping and that kind of thing, actually, it's it's naturally got that Im- embedded into it because you go in and you, you pick up issue 1000 and whatever of Batman, you know, and, you know, which version of Batman is this? You know, mm-hmm. actually, probably Batman's the most consistent, but you can picking up spider-man at the minute is that peter park you know it's like is it the peter park people will recognize um and i think we as an industry have to work harder to welcome those people because i've got two girls who are insanely into the mcu who struggle like mad to find out what to read in the in the marvel universe because it's again it's that thing they go into a comic shop and it's overwhelming um and i think when i was being when i was a kid and i was going to comic shops and picking up Issues, they were a little bit more standalone as well. You know, I, I, you could pick up a, a an amazing Spider-Man and pretty much know what happened, you know, pretty much get it. But um, a lot of the times you, you could be lost if you, if you haven't been reading it for the last six months. So I think the stuff that DC and Marvel are doing now, I think this is great that we can have these these ramps in that hopefully will then get people into the comic stores because that's all what, that's what we want. We want people reading the comics. We want people supporting comic stores. We want people getting into these characters and staying within that world while also loving the cinematic worlds as well. Um, so yeah, more more projects like Titans, um, I think, would be a really really welcome move. Yeah, to go back to uh, the art on on the book, Jose. Luis, mm. do you remember your reaction when you saw his line work for the first issue? Or I oh, guess it would have been the first 10 pages. Yeah, yeah I, I, it, was, it was before that. It was the um, the costume design. Because we, oh, okay. we, we, we did, I mean, the costumes are slightly different to the, to the norm. Yeah. Again, like with Beast Boy, it's like a, it's a cross between the the comic Beast Boy and the and the jacket that Gar wears on on the show, um, and we definitely had conversations about how do we want Raven to look, how do we, yeah, and we wanted that very classic line. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he did some amazing, which I don't think we shared anywhere yet. Some amazing sort of character studies of what what our Red Hood would look like, what our Nightwing would look like. Um, I'd already worked with him on Wonder Woman, um, Agent of Peace, and I've got a bit of art of, of his on my wall. Um, of a minotaur smashing down in front of Diana. Um, so I knew what he could do. Um, but yeah, it was, I know that because in the first five pages, you've got like Superman on the on the screen, on the TV, you know, and, and that first shot, I wanted that first shot of the, of the Titans arriving with Superboy front and centre and being very classic DC. Um, and I knew exactly, because I'd already worked with him, what he would he would produce um and i i loved it those battle scenes i, I adore because um, as soon as he starts getting into beast boy beast boy is a joy to write at the best of times but um knowing how he would do the um do the transformations and the in the month and the um the creatures and the other thing was um was blackfire I, I was desperate to know what his blackfire would look like especially as i just gave her a robot line because 
I thought she needed one. Um, you know, and I, did, I, I wanted her to have that sort of like prowling lion around her feet to really lean into the the more imperial side of her. Um, and yeah, and it was just the most metal thing. I, I think the, the note was make her the most metal version of Blackfire we've seen. Um, and he, he absolutely did that. Yeah, it's so interesting because a, a lot of times she'll look so much like her sister that it's only the costume that's different. His, mm. his Starfire has uh, a softness to her. Yeah, uh, and and there's uh, Blackfire's all hard edges. Yeah, yeah, that was a, absolutely a choice. And yeah. um, and then you know I don't want to get too too many spoilers, but again, it, hopefully that then plays out in the character. Right? And we have an issue, we have an issue of people on Reddit that um, Raven experiences um, Starfire and Blackfire's past by through a vision and, and lives it partly. Um, and so that was very important. Again, it was part of the brief, you know, explain who these characters are to people who don't necessarily have the background, explain what the classic version of those characters are. Um, and when you have a book, you can only spend it on so many characters. And, you know, you have the moments when people go online and say, oh, there's not enough Raven in this issue. There's not enough Starfire in this issue. Like, if I had my way, the issues would be 70 pages long. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, you have to have those moments where this is the Red Hood issue or this is the, you know, the um, the Starfire issue. Um, but, yeah, no, that was a very, very definite choice of how we were going to differentiate them. And, again, I think the Starfire, it comes back to the original Starfire, you know, when she was a little bit more vulnerable. and um, But then when she turned warrior, you knew you were in trouble. And mm -hmm. when Perez draws her, you definitely have that switch. Then you go back to that original run. And when she's being, you know, when, when she's with Dick and when she's being Corey, she's softer. When she's being Starfire, she's quite terrifying at points mm -hmm. in that run. Um, and that's something we wanted to play with. And again, we, we don't want to spoil, but Superboy is a big part of the story. Yes. And he gets a completely different look. Was that <laughs> something that was designed early on? Because that look is awesome. That was me playing, to be honest. It was like, we knew that the entire story was going to be that, super, uh, again, I don't want to play too many things. The Superboy gets influenced by, by Blackfire quite considerably. Um, and as soon as I had the black, you know, and I was like, well, it's Black Zero, isn't it? It's like going back to the, that entire you know, run um, from, from after Death of Superman. And, and yeah, so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a nod and a wink to history that that he would be called he would name name himself um, Black Zero and and it just worked because of Blackfire and yeah again I, I you know I, I pulled out my references I, I took photos of the comics with Black Zero in them sent them off and went let's get something that's sort of like this but also um, a bit new as well and sort of fits in with that that style we'd given Blackfire that sort of very chrome. You know, I say that a, a giant robot lion would fit into his costume had to fit into that as well, while also having the black suit underneath. So, you know, it's still Superboy under there. Yeah. And thank God you guys got to, you knew it was print at that point. So you did get to do full splash because oh, having that debut in a panel would not have been enough. No, it was just some of that stuff um, I, we do later on, like the, the actual Titans United sp splash in the last issue. Mm -hmm. Um, that would have been so much, so much hard to do on a single page. You know, it could have been done, but I knew from it, you know, that's where that was heading um, to that spread. And I knew that Superboy would be front and center. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is very much a Superboy story in a lot of ways. Um, 
And again, people, some people went, well, hang on a minute. Why is he suddenly worrying about being a clone again? He's over that. He knows it's like, again, this is introducing characters to mm-hmm. people who don't necessarily know. Um, and so it was a, a way to revisit those stories without just retelling. You know, we've all read Connor's story, you know, uh, if, you, if you've been following the comics over the years. I wanted to retell that story without literally retelling every moment and so the relationship with blackfire was for me a, a way of doing it um and so those people don't know the beginning of the story connor is starting to lose his powers because his genetic sequencing is starting to break um and the titans can't help it and in the middle of that you've got red hood who's just being a dick about it and just sort of saying well you'll be like the rest of us you haven't got power because that's actually the interesting thing about writing titans you suddenly realize how difficult it is to write nightwing as the leader of the titans because everyone else can do incredible things and nightwing can do incredible things but he has to do them on the floor or you know or or use his uh, acrobatics and actually everyone else he's commanding his so much more powerful than him and so i made that part of the story you know it's like they all respect dick as being the leader um and so it was connor questioning you know if i lose my powers who am i you know i'm a clone of lex luther and superman if i'm not even that what am i and so that was the the basis of that story yeah and again uh going back to that uh wolfman perez feel of of Mm. family the the titans i mean as much as they're a superhero team they are a family and we don't always get along with our, our family, but, no. uh, but you, at the end of the day, you have each other's backs. And, and yeah. that was, you know, it, that perm, that feeling of family and don't always get along, but you, you know, at the end of the day, you pull together the, that permeated the series uh, as well. So oh, brilliant. That, that's great. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what I was going for. And just the idea that, you know, as I said, Red Hood being in the mix of it, it was, it was a, a great way, obviously, cause he's not been in a Titans comic before to throw that extra character in that has history with a lot of the people in that room or in that fight, um, but doesn't necessarily fit in with, with how they've been in the past. Um, and so, yeah. And, and the fact that actually there's a, there's a scene one point where he does something really reckless and Donna looks up and just goes only Jason. And it's just that, I, again, those were one of those moments where I, I knew that moment was coming. I, you know, and I knew I, I when I was planning it, I, I knew what her reaction would be. And it was to try and get the fact that there is, there, you know, these people do know each other and they've known each other for a long time and they have real relationships. As you say, they don't always have to like each other. Um, and I think it's something the show's been trying to do as well, you know, and, and dealing with it's the, it's the fast and furious of the DC um, TV universe because it is all about that family thing. Um, and, and yeah, and that's what sold the original series to me. And that's exactly what I wanted to put into this. Yeah. So con- congratulations on, on see, uh, succeeding so well, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, well, we mentioned shadow service coming back uh, on the 20th, everybody uh, shipping and paper shortages and what have you. So April 20th yeah. for, um, for shadow service, we know you have more DC work coming. Can't say what it is perfectly yep. fine. Uh, where are you on the star Wars front? Uh, any new, um, material coming out and also anything else that you, that you might have coming up soon. Yeah. So, um, Star Wars, the high Republic returns to Marvel in October with the next phase. Um, and there are various other things I'm working on, which I can't talk about with that as well. Um, but yeah, we, we do a, a bit of a, a reload. The, the idea was that it was always going to have three phases and there was going to break to actually give people time to catch up because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of Star Wars, the high Republic, um, in the last year. And so we've got the new phase starting in October. I'm working on that at the minute. Um, 
and I'm sure we'll probably have things to show at that very soon. There's things like celebration coming up. I don't know what we're showing yet, but I'm sure there'll be something um, there. Um, other than that, the until my next biggest news, other than some DC, DC news that will probably, by the time this comes out of hit, so go and look at my Twitter feed, um, is The Ward, which comes from Dark Horse, which is my new creator-owned um, comic, which is basically ER with... ER meets Supernatural, that's the way I'm sort of selling it. So it's a secret hospital that's run by humans that deals with minotaurs who've lost a horn in a, in a fight, um, you know, with ghosts that ghosts have eaten something that, that isn't isn't um, agreeing with them. It's basically, yeah, a medical drama sort of ER, but when the patients are supernatural creatures. So that comes out, uh, Andre Ponce is the artist on that, and that comes out in June from um, Dark Horse. We've been working on that for years. That was a pandemic moment. It was supposed to come out before the pandemic. Um, then it wasn't coming out. Then it was going to be a graphic novel. And now, and now it's back to thankfully being a, a, a mini series that's launching in June from Dark Horse. Cool. Well, can't wait to, to check it out. It sounds like, uh, yeah, you can go totally serious with it, but plenty of space for some laughs and some comedy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. It's it's a it's a really fun little a universe that we're working on that, and hopefully, as all these things that go, hopefully it's just the beginning. Um, so yeah, pick that one up and, and let us know what you think. Cool. Well, you mentioned your your Twitter feed. Is that the pl- best place to follow you online to find out when yeah. stuff is is coming out? I spend far too much time on Twitter. I mean, you can go to my website, which is kevinscott.com. But yeah, if you go to at Kevin Scott on Twitter, um, you'll find me, and I'm usually shouting about what I'm doing or talking about Lego, one or the other. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'll put a link to Kevin's uh, Twitter feed in the show notes, everybody, as well as the link to his website. So if you're having trouble finding them, you can go and click there. Uh, Kevin, I'll let you get back to work. I know the deadlines are ever looming. Uh, they are. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. It was a, it was a real pleasure to, uh, to chat about these, uh, these different series. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And to all you listeners, we want to thank you for listening as always. Don't forget Shadow Service. I, I highly recommend it. It is so, so, so good. Go, so go and check it out. You, you Again, you have a couple of weeks, pick up the first two trades and read them before issue 11 comes back on the 20th. Titans United. Awesome. Awesome. You don't need to have, you could be, maybe you're a Star Wars fan, have never checked out any DC stuff. Don't need to read anything else. You can pick up Titans United, all seven issues. They completely stand on their own. So uh, we appreciate you joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.